Welcome to the Craft of Shadows podcast, based on the novel The Jewel of Nineveh by Dewish Basiti. Discover new content and subscribe to receive updates at craftofshadows.com. Now, on with the show. Chapter 18. Hostage. Where is that old man? Manu rapped his fist again on the door to the old man's workshop. His head throbbed and his tongue felt dry. Hatra had kept his glass well topped up at the private party, he, he recalled, and he drunk too much to wash away his poor mood. But she was gone when he woke. Sleeping, Jum teetered on tiptoes, trying to peer through the crystal eyepiece the old man had set in the door, but there was only darkness. Nothing can sleep through that infernal gong of his. He is always up and working. Manu pressed his ear to the door and held a finger to his lips. Jum opened his mouth to interject, then shut it. Manu frowned. I can't hear his machines either. Something is wrong. We need to get inside. Jum pulled at the levers set into the door. Each made the identical dull click at the end of its swing, up or down. Did you ever work out how he operated his lock? Manu shook his head. Too complicated for me. We'll go around. He looked up at the walls to the high-set slit windows, then stood back as people passed them in the street. Two men berating a braying beast of burden with panniers of fruit swaying from its sides. The donkey tugged back at the leash, then reluctantly followed its masters. The thief took a large bite from his green apple, the tart juice running down his chin. He tossed the rest of the fruit to Jum, who caught it with a grin and crunched into it. Manu wiped his chin with the back of his hand. The sewer entrance. I'm not climbing up to those windows with people around. You don't have any rope anyway. You city folk live too softly. A real thief doesn't climb with a rope. Come on, let's get underground. They descended into the gloom, breathing shallowly as they adjusted to the rank air. The thief put a hand on his apprentice's shoulder to restrain him and tilted his head to the side as he listened for footsteps. The silence was broken only by the splashing of rats foraging among the effluent. Quietly now, we are in the thieves' domain and we don't want to run into them. This way. Paddling as softly as they could, they made their way to the narrow slit tunnel and the secret panel. Manu froze. Then his hand crept to the katara on his thigh and whispered it out of the leather sheath. The door was open and a flicker of light lay beyond. Manu turned to his apprentice and pointed to the ground insistently. Jum nodded and crouched in the shadows. Manu crept forward and scanned left and right 
and above before entering the old man's secret cellar, his breathing deepening. The last guttering flame of the candle illuminated a linen sheet on the floor, half dragged from the room. Someone's been hauled through here. The secret hatch to the workshop was ajar, and sunlight caught the top step. He climbed up, tilting his head back and forth as he strained to hear. The workshop was hushed and cold. The boilers had run out of fuel and the pistons had stopped. Manu could only hear the faint voices and movements of people and animals from the street. The workshop was empty. In the old man's living quarters, the bed was in disarray, with feathers from a split pillow across the floor. A plate had been stepped on and lay on the ground, fragmented. A food-smeared footprint led away from the bed and toward the secret cellar entrance. The thief sheathed his blade, then turned over the pillow and flicked out the trailing sheet. There was no blood. Manu felt the tension in his shoulders loosen and he breathed more easily. He turned back to the cellar entrance with a single print trail leading to it. A piece of parchment fluttered on the elevated wooden crates that were held up by the trap door mechanism, pinned by a knife. Manu took down the note and slowly scanned the characters, lips moving as he sounded them out. His eyebrows knitted together and his lip curled with a snarl. He crushed the parchment in his fist and threw it to the ground. He ran down the steps and out of the secret hatch to the crouching June. Where is the great cistern? The cistern? I've never been there. I don't know if it even exists. There is a bedtime story parents tell to try and scare children to sleep. They say it is in the deepest part of the old tunnels beneath the old catacombs that lie under the upper city, and crocodiles for Kemet swim and feed there. What's a crocodile? I've never heard of such a beast. You know lizards? Hey, I'm not scared of lizards. Then how about a lizard the size of a cow that swims silently underwater to burst out and drag their victims away in jaws wide enough to swallow a man whole. Manu half laughed. Were you the one telling these tales to scare the other kids? Jum grinned at him, perhaps. Manu's frown returned. Simak has been here, and he has taken the old man. I am to go alone to the great cistern and hear his demands. The thief felt a pang of guilt and looked at the ground. I don't know what he wants, only that the old man's life hangs in the balance. I brought this threat upon him and I feel responsible. Doom placed a hand on the thief's arm. I'll lead you as best I can. I know how to get to the catacombs 
but not beyond. Alert to any footsteps or voices echoing down the stone halls, they crept through the tunnels. At intervals, slits in the ceiling reached up to the city above, and scant beams of light filtered down. The precious illumination sped their progress, far easier to move swiftly than at night with only their fingertips on the wall to feel the way. The rough dimpling and the regular shapes of the brick-lined sewer tunnels stopped abruptly. The age of industry was left behind and gave way to ancient, heavy stone blocks, crudely chiselled faces, but so closely fitted together so that not even a blade would fit between. The old city walls, now we pass into the catacombs. June paused, looking up at the great blocks of stone. The slits of light from the city above grew slimmer and more infrequent as the high city rose away from them. They were moving in almost pitch darkness. The catacombs were dry and dusty, the roof sometimes high above them, then so low Manu had to stoop to pass through. The passages seemed to have been dug over progressive generations, a twist here, an alcove there. Deep in the recesses of the alcoves were piled bones, toppled skulls staring blankly out at them. As Doom's fingers trailed along the walls, he disturbed the bones and skeletal fragments clattered to the floor. Doom shrieked, and Manu clapped his hands over the boy's mouth. The high-pitched cry echoed around the chamber and returned from the tunnel ahead of them. Be quiet, damn you. You'll give us away. Mano reached into the alcove and found two long bones, then pulled out what cloth he could find and tore it into strips. He wrapped the tatters of funeral shrouds around the end, then stuffed all the remaining cloth inside his tunic for later use. He sparked his flint against the back of his blade until the dry cloth caught flame. The flame made them blink for a few seconds, but the darkness was chased away and their path clearly visible. He offered one torch to Jum, who recoiled. What is wrong? Scared of a few bones? Jum stared wide-eyed at the preferred torch. Their ghosts will haunt us for desecrating them as they sleep. The thief snorted and shook his head. I've crept through many places of the dead and rifled through their belongings in any crypt or tomb I could gain entrance to. I've never met a spectre or jumped in fright at anything other than my own shadow. That was when I was your age, of course. Now take the torch and get moving. We don't have time to waste. Jum's hand trembled as he reached for the torch and his breathing grew shallow and his fingers closed around the dry human bone. If I see a ghost, I'm running away and leaving you to fight it. Manu smiled 
and the fluttering flame cast a wicked glint into his eye. In that case, do you want to lead or be the one behind while I go first? Doom's whole body started trembling and he stared up at the thief, his mouth open. Manu sighed, then took Doom's small hand, which gripped firmly. There were no more complaints, and so Manu led them deeper into the tunnels. The uneven floor forced them to pick their way carefully through the maze of excavations, seeking those that descended. When the way parted, and neither route had an obvious change in elevation, Manu tested the tunnel's mouths, sniffing to determine which was a cooler and led to greater depths, or hold his torch up for the telltale flutter of air from the surface. After some time, Jum's tight grip on Manu's hand began to slacken. They slowly made their way forward and deeper and felt the weight of the stone and the centuries above their heads. In some areas, new corpses had been laid, and the rats feasted on them. Pockets of morbid stench, where the thief and his apprentice held their breath to pass by, and the clutching hand grew tighter. The rocks in the wall changed again, the rough-hewn faces giving way to smoother, regular blocks. The sloping and uneven floor passed to long steps cut into the bedrock beneath the city. Short steps and tall ones that Jum needed to jump down, all leading to the bowels of the tunnel system. The thief stopped and released Jum's hand to shelter his eyes from the torch as he squinted ahead. He could make out a glimmer of light, so he stooped to put his torch on the ground and rolled it with his boot to extinguish the flame. As Jum copied him, their vision adjusted to the darkness and the tunnel opened ahead of them. The thief squatted beside his apprentice. Stay here. I don't know what Simak has planned and I can't be worrying about you and the old man at the same time. Jum narrowed his eyes fiercely. I can help. Shh, do as I say and stay here. Jum pouted and sat on the ground, his legs sticking out across the floor and his arms crossed over his chest. The thief sighed, then turned away and crept towards the light at the end of the tunnel. As he descended, he could feel moisture on his cheeks for the first time since they had entered the catacombs. The burble of running water, but far away, and the walls of the tunnel growing greasy to the touch with algal slime. The tunnel ended abruptly, a short ledge and a huge drop. The ceiling rose high above his head and far out across an enormous cavern. It was high enough for the drainage slits in the city above to cast thin, lucent beams down to the base. The thief followed the streams of light down as he peered over the edge of the ledge. At the base of the cavern was a vast lake, 
with only a narrow strip of rock around the edge. Manu thought he saw a shadow move in the water, but then it was still. An iron bar jutted out of the rock walls far below and suspended over the waters from a pulley and a chain was a rusted gibbet. The old man was in this cage, shouting a stream of individually incomprehensible words, presumably profanities. Manu followed the chain back to a winch fixed into the ground. Simak sat with his feet dangling over the edge, looking down at the water whilst dripping into a roast chicken. He had thrust his torch into a, a crevice in the walls and it smoked greasily, casting flickering light across the sheer smoothness of the lake. A narrow flight of stairs cut into the walls of the cavern, led from the ledge and spiralled around to the bottom. Manu walked down and drew his blade. He came level with the old man, the iron cage swinging slightly. Vashir stopped shouting and scowled at the thief. This is your fault. Sorry, I know. I will deal with it. I knew you were trouble the first moment I laid eyes on you. Settle down, old man. I came to help. I can just as easily leave you here. The old man squinted at the thief. You still need me, boy, even if I believed you'd actually leave an old man to a doom like this. Manu grinned at him and winked. It had crossed my mind. Get on with it and rescue me then. The thief descended the remaining stairs, then stopped, looking at Simak's back. Simak stood up, smacking his lips and sucking his fingers. This is really very good chicken. That old man is a pretty good cook. I already know that. Now, what do you want, Simak? This is a bit theatrical, even compared to your last performance on stage. Simak walked over to the winch and stepped on the trailing length of chain that terminated on the ground. With his other foot, he kicked away the block of wood that had trapped the handle against the body of the winch. The block fell over the edge and splashed into the water. The iron gibbet dropped an inch, then the chain snapped taut under Simak's boot. This used to be the old sultan's favourite interrogation tool. He'd bring all the toughest prisoners down here and stick them in that cage, right here. Can I let you in on a secret? One thief to another. I used to sneak here and watch from the ledge. You had to hand it to the sultan. He knew how to run a torture session. He indicated a flight of steps leading up through the rock. These stairs go all the way up to the city. It allowed the sultan to slip away and indulge his hobby whenever he felt like it. They used to go all the way up to the sultan's palace. 
but it was filled in after the old boy died. Don't tell me. He'd bore them to death with grandiose speeches. Manu saw a shadow under the surface of the water. It moved toward them and then melted away. Simak started to laugh but cut himself short. No, he would lower the cage a few feet into the water. Then he would haul it back up. Then he would ask what remained in the cage if they had anything to say to him. Usually, most men broke when they discovered both feet missing. But some extraordinarily strong men resisted. So the sultan would lower them halfway in and repeat the process. Manu screwed up his face, knowing that the colour had drained from his cheeks. A dirty smile crawled its way across Simak's face. My, my. I didn't take you for a squeamish one. You talk so tough in my office, I thought you had a stronger constitution. Hey, watch this. He tossed the half-eaten chicken carcass into the water. The water surged as a scaly grey behemoth erupted from the lake, snapping elongated jaws with dagger teeth and swallowing the chicken whole. It looked like a morsel between jaws better suited for grappling with riverside oxen. A yellow eye regarded Manu, and the pupil contracted. A spout of water flooded the rocky ledge as the monster sunk beneath the surface, and the waters calmed. Simak peered at the lake, scanning its surface. Pity, that was one of the smaller females. I wanted you to see one of the old males. There is really a big one that comes up sometimes. He has broken blades snapped off and wedged into his horny armour from where people have tried to kill the monster. Sticking a knife or an axe into one of these monsters only makes them angry. You have made your point, Simak. Now tell me, what do you want? You. I want you. Manu raised an eyebrow. I am sorry, Simak, but I... I just don't feel the same about... Stop being a fool. I want you to sign this confession that you killed the ambassador and that you are a spy for Nineveh. Manu shrugged. I'm guessing Arshan has severed all communications with you, and without his funding, you can't keep control of the Thieves' Guild. That about sum it up? Shut up, damn you! Once I deliver the confession, pinned of course to your corpse, I have no doubt my position will be restored, and my usefulness to the Grand Vizier unquestionable. Sorry to disappoint you, but much as I would like to help the old man out, I rule out losing my own life. He's just not worth that much to me. The dirty smile again crawled across Simak's face. I assumed you'd be reluctant, so I didn't come alone. 
From the shadowed steps behind him, the overmuscled giant and Bivar emerged. The giant slipped on his iron knuckle bands and Bivar drew his curved sword. Manu shifted his feet from the slippery rocks as he took up a combat stance and readied his katara. He glanced up at the swaying iron cage and blinked in surprise as he saw the old man grinning. Clawing along the iron pole that supported the gibbet was June. One leg hanging low for balance, the other tucked up behind. Mano looked back to Simak, still standing on the taut chain, but now with a sword in his hand. This is your final chance, Northman. In the next few minutes, you will be dead. Your final choice is whether you sign the confession first and let the old man live, or whether you want to see him torn to pieces and eaten alive as your last living memory. Manu's shoulders spread as he crouched and cocked his blade-bound fist. That all depends on these goons being able to take me down. Don't you recognise that I'm holding the weapon of the last guy you sent after me? The giant roared and clashed his knuckles together. We took you down easily before. You hit the ground like a sack of vegetables. I didn't fight back, and I wasn't armed. Manu's lips were pulled back in a grin, teeth clenched and eyes narrowed to slits. Simak looked down at the length of chain under his foot, then up at the defiant figure of Manu. He shook his head. Three against one? And the old man fed to the crocodiles? Not the most dignified exit. Get him, boys. He stepped off the chain, the iron cage lurching down to the waters and huge snapping jaws rising from the surface of the lake. It lurched to a halt, swinging an inch above the water as the crocodiles clashed their teeth against the rusty iron platform at its base. The old man was trembling violently and he looked up at the chain to see Jum grinning back at him, his dagger wedged into the pulley. Manu smirked at Simak. I didn't come alone either. Bivar swung his scimitar at Manu's neck, but it whistled through the air as the thief dropped to one knee and delivered a brutal punch to his opponent's thigh. There was a plume of blood as the femoral artery was severed and the shaven-head man with the milky eye fell to the ground screaming, his sword clattering across the rocks, slick with his own gore. The giant howled in rage and swung his iron-shod fists at Manu's face. Manu snapped his head to the side. The edge of the metal bands tore off his cheek scab and set a trickle of blood running down his jaw. Manu continued the rotation and pirouetted to his feet, hammering his fist into the giant's kidney and dropped him to his knees. The giant grunted in wide-eyed surprise, blinking dully 
as the blade ground against his spinal column. The weapon slid free, and Manu's second punch tore out the side of the giant's neck and throat. The corpse crashed over onto its face and lay still. Manu looked up to see Simak advancing on him, sword held out in front, his face twisted with rage. Let's end this. Simak lunged forward, driving the blade before him. Manu stepped back, but his foot slipped on the bloody rocks and he crashed to the ground, landing awkwardly across the body of the giant. Simak sneered at him. Goodbye, Manu. At least I still get your corpse. He thrust forward to pin Manu against the giant's body, but his front foot skated across the widening pool of blood. He collapsed to one knee, and Manu's foot swung round and connected with the back of Simak's head, knocking him forward and over the ledge. Manu rolled to his feet, touching lightly his swollen cheek and wincing. There were fingertips at the edge, grimly hanging on to the rock. Manu walked over to the ledge and peered over. Simak gaped back at him, lips trembling as he tried to force a smile. A good man would show a fleck of mercy and help me up. Even a clean death by a blade is preferable to being devoured alive by these monsters. Help me, Manu. I'm begging you. Manu looked into Simak's wide eyes and narrowed his own. He placed a foot on the fingers of Simak's right hand and crushed down. Simak screamed, snatching his hand away and dangling over the edge from just one hand. I'm not a good man. Manu kicked the remaining fingers off the ledge and walked away as the thrashing of the waters and Simak's agonised screams echoed around the enormous cavern. Bivar's body had stopped twitching and the ground around him was awash with blood. Manu looked disinterestedly at the corpse as he walked back to the gibbet. He pulled the chain loose in the winch. You can take out the dagger, Jum. I've got him now. He turned the handle until the iron gibbet was returned to the rocky ledge. The cage had a small lock and the rusted iron ring that held it shattered under a sideways blow from the katara. Manu felt his heart rate easing and slowing to normal. He breathed deeply. Never doubted you for a moment, boy. The old man looked carefully at Manu's calm face as he was helped out of the cage. So this is what you do. You tore through three men like they were cloth. I had some help and a bit of luck. He looked at the grinning face of Jum running down the stairs towards them, then to the pool of blood by the corpse of the giant. Sometimes that is all you need. The thief walked over to the sultan's stairway. Rubble was strewn down the steps. He climbed as far as he could until the borders became too large. No man would be making an unannounced visit by this route. 
but maybe a boy could. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Craft of Shadows podcast. More details at craftofshadows.com. Copyright 2020, Dewish Pasiti and Vinkto Publishing. Title music by Turku, Nomads of the Silk Road, at turkumusic.com.